was very concerned about somebody in their worship service. An elderly man had passed out in a pew and appeared to be dead. So he couldn't find any pulse when he got near the guy. There was no noticeable breathing, so he frantically called 911. And he, they said, well, what was so unusual? You know, this, this is not that unusual. And he says, well, he says, we got to the building really fast, and then we rushed into the sanctuary, and we carried out four other guys before we realized which one was really dead. <laughs> is it possible for our worship to become as dry as the bones Ezekiel preached to in that field that I mentioned at the beginning of our worship time? Thankfully, in his case, the dry bones came to life. So if you're dry this morning, I hope you come to life soon. Maybe hear a little, a little rattling going on here. And maybe something like this needs to happen here at New Hope in the middle of this pandemic. Maybe something like this needs to happen in your heart or mine. COVID-19 has hit us pretty hard, hasn't it? You know, let's, let's be real about this. This has not been fun. It's still not fun. We don't know the end of this story. And uh, we've had our worlds turned upside down. No matter what our personal circumstances are, maybe we kept working, maybe we kept getting our income as normal. Maybe it hasn't been that great a disruption there, but staying at home and distancing and, and uh, not seeing people. Does anyone else, here's, here's the question, does anyone else, Besides me, you feel a little bit asleep or maybe apathetic or maybe even a little bit dead inside. Anybody else? Do you feel like you've lost at least a part of your, your zeal, your drive, uh, your motivation in life? Do you feel like, you know, man, I've, I've backed up. I'm, I'm like I'm on, on vacation or something or I'm, I'm just on a day off. And I can't really get motivated like I was before. Am I the only one who has had some of this zest for life drained by COVID-19, somehow I don't think I'm the only one. I see your heads nodding. I hear some of you affirming, you know, I feel this. I feel this. And as Ezekiel uh, looked across this valley of dry bones, God asked him a question. Can these bones live again? And Ezekiel didn't have an answer. He says, God, you know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. Only God could raise the dead back to life again. And so God said to Ezekiel, he said, Preach to these dry bones, prophet. Preach to these dry bones. Tell them that I, the Lord Almighty, am going to raise them up to life again. They need to know this. Preach it. And as Ezekiel preached the word of the Lord, those dry bones came back to life and formed this mighty army for God. Many of us need to get our life and our energy and our zeal back today. So this morning, I'm starting a new series of messages called Ships of Faith. The whole series uses the suffix ship. The first is worship. Do you get it? <laughs> the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy about two of their brothers in Christ who had left the faith and left God. Their names were Hymenius and Alexander. And in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, Paul admonished Timothy to hold on to faith and a good conscience because these two brothers had rejected these things and had thereby suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. They had suffered shipwreck. They had followed Jesus for some time in their lives, but now they had rejected faith. And if you read the rest of it, find out that they had actually blasphemed God. They now were denying God. 
And we want to make sure that nothing like this ever happens to anyone here in this congregation called New Hope. So I'm going to be preaching about these things that will help us hold on to our faith and to hold on to a good conscience, you know, a good relationship with God and to make those stronger every day because we all need to be strong enough to hold on to our faith no matter what life may throw at us. Amen? <laughs> David Kinneman is the president of George Barna Research, a group that has done religious surveys for many years. And so someone asked him, you know, what have you been seeing going on during the pandemic? You know, you see all the survey results, you see guys are cranking out the answers you get back, and you see the research that comes out of this and, and the numbers. And he says, I observed four major trends in the world today. First of all, I see that the mental health of the general public is in greater crisis than ever before. People's mental health is really bad, uh, worse than, than I can ever remember. In fact, their surveys have shown that 42% of adults say that anxiety has reached such a level that it's having a great negative impact on their relationships. 39% of adults say the same thing regarding their depression. You know, they're feeling this, these overwhelming feelings of anxiety or depression to the point that they can't function, they can't relate the way that they did before. Secondly, he says, I see loneliness growing. Great loneliness. 50% of adults say that they experience a sense of loneliness every week. Half of the people, you and I, half of us, at least half of us, are feeling that week by week. And the surveys show that this sense of loneliness has hit younger adults even more, even harder. 70% of 18 to 22-year-olds say that they feel this loneliness every week. It's, it's, they just feel separated. They feel alone in the world. Thirdly, he says relationships are being strained under new pressures. You know, we have all the normal stuff, but there's new stuff in this too. As husbands and wives relationships, parents and children relationships, singles of all ages, whatever their relationships may be, we're all feeling the strain of forced isolation and distancing from our normal life, from our work environment, from our gatherings with friends, from being cooped up with the same people day after day. You know, that kind of works on you after a while, doesn't it? No, no offense to my family. <laughs> but it's different. It's like suddenly you're just home with each other all the time, whereas before you had breaks, before you had other things occupying your mind. And this works on relationships. Fourthly, addictions. Addictions have deepened as people are looking for ways to cope with the effects of this crisis. So if, if they had an addiction before, what's been taken away? Well, their support group. What's been taken away? Their accountability, where they were meeting with someone and they were saying, how are you doing? You know, do you need some help? Do you need some encouragement? Did you, did you mess up? Did you slip? And those things are now curtailed or maybe shut down altogether. Even people who didn't struggle with addictions before are now turning to them as a way to cope, as a, as a method of escape from reality. And so addictions are on the increase. Now that's quite a list, isn't it? COVID-19 is having a big impact on all of us across the board in America and the world. So let's be honest, none of us is immune Let's, let's just be frank here this morning that every one of us has been, and nobody can say, well, it's not touching me, because it's touching you. It's touching me. Even pastors, elders, 
church leaders are feeling it. And this thing is getting on our nerves, and we all want it to be over, don't we? We just want to go back to something that is easier. And for this reason, we all need to find answers and guidance and hope from God. We all need the ships of faith that we're going to be learning over these next few weeks. It's not something brand new, but it's a reminder. It's a steadying flow of information so that each of us can grab onto the things that will make our faith stronger. They are ships of faith. In fact, every message of this series is foundational to the life of every Christian and to the life of this church. Look at the topics, worship and fellowship and lordship and discipleship and partnership and friendship and stewardship and a few others. God has given us in these things principles and priorities to hold on to in the storms of life. And in these uncertain times, we need them more than ever, don't we? Storm-tossed seas are all around us. So, how do we hold on to our faith? The point of this series is to get us back to the place where we can build our lives on a firm foundation. That foundation is Jesus, of course. Like Ezekiel preaching to the Valley of Dry Bones, I am feeling called by God today to call the church to life once again. I am calling all of us to wake up from our slumber and to regain the vitality and the drive and the zeal that we have known in the past. I am calling the church to wake up and to stand on its feet once again as a mighty army for God. And we must not do this only for ourselves, but also for the people around us that are, are hurting and maybe hopeless and, and depressed and broken and discouraged. We must do this in order to bring glory to God who made new life in Jesus Christ possible in the first place. And I feel almost as God is speaking to me audibly, which he is not, but he's speaking to my heart. Preach to these dry bones, preacher, and the army of God will come back to life. The ships of faith are foundational. They are principles and priorities, I said, that God has given Christians and churches of every generation. They are the building blocks of faith that we can grab onto so that we can live as God wants us to. And so this morning, we begin with this topic, worship. Worship. God's worship. Because our relationship to God is foundational to everything else in our lives. Worship is key to our life and our vitality in Christ. Worship is key to our devotion and zeal in serving Christ. Another great Old Testament prophet was named Isaiah. And Isaiah learned that worship was key to his life and his calling from God. He wrote in chapter 6 of his book about a unique worship experience that he had one time. So listen to Isaiah's words as he tells us about being taken into the very throne room of God. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Apparently he's in the temple and God gives him this vision while he's there. Above him, above God, were seraphim, each with six wings. Magnificent creatures. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Isaiah was amazed at the glory of God. He was staggered by the things that he saw and felt and experienced in his vision of the throne room of God. He was instantly convicted of his own sinfulness, his own worthiness, unworthiness to even be in God's presence. He immediately cried out, woe is me. I am ruined, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen to me now? But God had an answer. God had an answer for Isaiah's predicament. An angel, a seraph, was dispatched immediately to take away Isaiah's sin so he could stand up again and worship the Lord. It was then, only then, that the call of God came upon Isaiah's life. God was saying, who shall I send? Who's going to go for us? You know, who's going to get this job done? And it was answered by the prophet Isaiah himself. He says, here I am. Why don't you, why don't you send me? For worship to be everything that God wants it to be, God intends it to be, worship has to be real. Has to be real. Can't be pretense. It can't be uh, imagined. It can't be a mask that we wear. Worship can only be worship when it is sincere and honest and truthful. Worship is never just for show. It can't be just a performance of words and music and rituals. Worship can't be reserved for Sundays and forgotten on Mondays. Worship has to come from the heart, and it needs to come every day, all day long. Turning to the New Testament, turning to the ministry of Jesus himself, we could go to John 4, I encourage you to do that on your own, we're not going to take time to read that, but in John 4, we read this story that I think most of you are familiar with. Jesus is with his disciples, and he goes up through Samaria, and he is, is sitting outside at a well while they run into town to get lunch, and a woman comes out there, a Samaritan woman. This conversation Jesus has with her is very important about worship. This woman was far from God. She was literally in bondage to sin in her life. She found herself caught in a vicious cycle of bro broken relationships and, and even ostracized from the rest of the people in her community. But Jesus saw her differently than she saw herself. Jesus saw what her life could be. Jesus was not put off by her mistakes or her reputation. And he reached out to her to give her New life when no one else could or would. Other men had used and abused her for many years, but this man, Jesus, reached out to her to bring her back to God and to give her the new life that God wanted her to have. Jesus offered her the opportunity to leave her empty life of bondage and to embrace eternal life in him, the only Messiah God has ever sent into the world to save us. 
Jesus sought out this woman in the same way God seeks all of us. In an encounter, face-to-face, real, personal. The Samaritan woman had heard about God, but she had never come face-to-face with God before. Jesus said to her in John 4, 23 and 24, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And we can see then that true worship is not just religion or ritual. She tried to get Jesus involved in this debate, you know, where we're supposed to worship God, how we're supposed to worship God. He says, no, that's not the question. Worship is an honest encounter of our hearts with the God of the universe in a very personal way. Nobody else can do it for you. You do it for yourself. No one else can go face-to-face with God, but you are invited to do that. Worship recognizes and acknowledges God's rightful place as the only one who deserves our worship and our praise. True worship is recognizing God as the only one who can both offer and deliver salvation from our sins and their penalty death. We can learn also that true worship worships God in spirit and in truth. Jesus said that very very clearly here. We need to worship him in genuine humility, acknowledging his sovereignty and dominion over us all. True worship will result in repentance, which is simply surrender to whatever God wants and a desire to walk with him from that day forward in purity. True worship is brutally honest. True worship is real. So I want to ask you this morning, and I ask myself, is our worship honest? Is our worship real? I heard about a little boy that was outside playing by himself. His parents were sitting in on the patio could kind of overhear what was going on, watch what he was doing, make sure he was safe and everything. But he's just playing by himself. And he decided to play baseball by himself. Of course, that's kind of difficult. But he thought, I can throw the ball in the air and hit it with the bat. At least do that. And so as he threw it up the first time to no one in particular, he said, I am the greatest hitter in the world. (laughs) He threw up the ball, and he swung, and he missed. Well, he was also the umpire, so he said, strike one. So he picked up the ball again, threw it up in the air, and says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world, and swung and missed again. (laughs) Strike two. Well, he looked long and hard at the ball and the bat and thought, something's not working here. I'm going to try this again. I'm going to prove my ability. And so once again, he yelled out, I'm the greatest hitter in the world, (laughs) threw the ball up in the air, swung with all of his might, and missed a third time. Strike three. Well, the little boy sat down mumbling to himself, considering what had just happened. After a minute or so, he turned to his parents, and much to their, their surprise, he says, wow, I just struck out the greatest hit in the world. I must be the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> you don't like the truth? Make up your own. <laughs> now, a little boy may have fooled himself, but he wasn't fooling anybody else. He missed all three times. He was not the greatest hitter in the world. Is there honesty in your worship or mine? Are we willing to admit our mistakes, our sins, our shortcomings to God as we worship Him? If we are not, 
true worship cannot happen. But you know that. You cannot truly worship God and hide all this stuff in the back. You cannot truly worship God with a mask on, although many of you are doing that today. I mean, uh, you've got a physical mask, but a spiritual mask. Are you trying to hide behind something? Are you trying to pretend something, you know? No, you can't do that in worship. It has to be really genuine. It has to be sincere. It has to be true. True worship acknowledges Jesus as the only source of forgiveness, freedom, and new life. When we reach that point, when we give up on our own goodness, our own deeds, our own righteousness, our own abilities, our own skills, our own knowledge, anything you want to throw in there, we give up on all of that and we say, God, I need you. You alone can save me. We are now beginning to worship. As soon as the Samaritan woman came to faith in Jesus, she went back to her village. And she invited her neighbors to check out Jesus as well. And this led to many life-changing encounters over the next couple of days because the people went out and they met Jesus. They invited him into the village and he spent two days there showing them who he was and telling them about God. And many of them, it says, surrendered their lives to him, put their faith in him. No one had ever reached out to these lost people like Jesus did that day. No one had ever given them what Jesus gave them that day. No one had ever offered them the opportunity to start over by turning to God in humble worship and surrender. And so they did that. And so this morning, if you, whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, if you are struggling in any way during these difficult and disturbing times, I encourage you to come simply before God to get your heart right with him. No pretense, no drama, you try and throw off the scent or create a diversion, put up a smoke screen, but just you and God face to face. If you're anxious, if you're depressed, come before God. Acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge your desperate need for him in your life. Acknowledge that he has the answers when we don't. That he knows the future when we can't. Come as Isaiah did, to be blown away by God's majesty, but also by his tenderness, his kindness toward you and me. Even to taking away our sinfulness when we don't deserve it. What a God we have. What an opportunity we have to know him and to worship him. If you are lonely, if you are broken, come as a Samaritan woman did to Jesus and find in him your way back to God. Can we pray together? Lord, I thank you that you have given us opportunities that we could never have had on our own, that you have reached out to us as you reached out to Ezekiel and to Isaiah, and to the Samaritan woman and the other people of her village, as you have reached out to literally millions of people through the generations. You now have reached out to each one of us in this room. Within the sound of my voice, both here in person and online, you are reaching out even now to each of us. Your Holy Spirit is convicting people of their need for you, 
that they have a desire in their heart for you, and they don't know how to overcome the struggles of their life, the desperation, the loneliness, the brokenness. But there is an answer. His name is Jesus. <laughs> His name is Jesus. And so we come before you today as people needing the God that you are and the difference you can make in our lives. I pray for each person in this room that we'll draw close to you. Pray for each person that is watching online today or even this week on YouTube that somehow your word will get into their hearts and your spirit will be able to speak to them and they will come to you face to face so that you can do what only you can do in their lives. Bless us as we continue worshiping you today and may we draw close to you every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?